hello, hello. It's Tarkon. Welcome to uh, episode four of the Manifestation Lab podcast. The podcast with the dramatic intro. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. I like drama. A little bit of drama. I said that last time too, didn't I? A little bit of drama is good. It's good for the blood. It's the oxygen pumping. Yeah. Creates anticipation. Ah, you know, if you uh, hear me sniffling a little bit during this uh, recording, then I apologize. You know, allergy season is back. And I just love going out there into the fresh spring air and... Inhaling all that wonderful pollen and the aromas of the uh, whatever we got out there. Honeysuckles and Daphne's and mm, Japanese cherry blossoms. Yeah. I don't really know my flowers, I realize. I don't, I'm not very well versed in flowers. Some people are. They seem to know every flower uh, just by looking at it or even by smelling it. I remember smelling jasmine at springtime in Southern California when I lived there. That was always a wild jasmine from the mountains. That was always a very delicious scent. I kind of miss that, actually. But anyway... um, Yes, welcome to the podcast, and uh, in this episode, we're actually going to be speaking of, about Neville Goddard. Now, some of you who comment regularly or just occasionally on my YouTube channel have asked me to address Neville or at least Neville's techniques, or go over Neville's te- techniques. And, um, you know, I think since uh, we seem to be in a niche here, the niche being relationships, love, manifesting specific people, relationships with specific people. You know, I want to stop saying manifesting exes and specific people because what we're really trying to do is manifest relationships with specific people. It may sound like a silly distinction to make, but I think it's an important one. It's important to know exactly what you're after. And that's precisely the first thing, the first step, according to Neville Goddard, when manifesting anything, is to be absolutely clear about what it is that you want. Now, you can think you want certain things or you can sit and obsess about certain things. And so many of us trying to manifest specific people, exes, what we what we always hope for and wish for and imagine is uh, receiving a text message or a phone call or something of that nature, a declaration of love. Is that actually the thing you're after? 
right? Is that really the thing you're after? If that's what you're after, then what you're really after is the feeling of receiving that. And that is a feeling that would be, I think, akin to mm, an ego boost, right? A little bit of a, of a dopamine rush. The same kind of thing, they say, that makes us so addicted to social media, right? Wasn't that a thing that came out recently? That um, those likes and comments that we get on Facebook or whatever it is, that they're, they give us a little dopamine push in the brain, right? And uh, it makes us feel really high for a little moment. And if we don't get the uh, sort of uh, what desired number of likes and feedback, that somehow we, we, uh, we, we end up, uh, well, I want to say suffering as a result of that. Uh, suffering, I suppose, we think then that nobody loves us or nobody's interested in what we have to say. Uh, but what's really going on is that we're missing that dopamine rush, right? It's that little drug that we want, right? That little bit of dopamine. Of course, like with any kind of drug that gives us a quick rush, that rush dissipates just as quickly, right, as it, as it comes on, as it overwhelms us. And then we, uh, we're, we feel lacking in it and we want more. Then we obsess about the next hit, the next hit of dopamine. So that's something to be aware of. When, you, when you're out there going, I, I want them to text me, what you want is feedback. You want that dopamine rush. You want something coming from them, their direction, for, for them to engage in some kind of action that lets you think for a minute or feel for a minute that rush of being wanted, having some kind of attention placed upon you, right? But just as quickly as that rush comes on, it dissipates, and then you want more, and you want more, and in the end, it becomes about the rush itself and not about the thing itself, right? What is it you're really after? If you want a relationship, you need to start focusing on the relationship and not focus on the rush of getting a text message or an email or a phone call, right? Or a smile from them or a glance in your direction. Understand those are just little hits. They're little hits, and they might make you feel bad for five or ten minutes, maybe even the whole day. Uh, I mean, good, not bad. <laughs> Oops. Um, was that a little Freudian slip? Because in the end, really, what, what it is, it does make you feel bad. Because, you know, how many times, how many uh, text messages do you need to receive in order to keep that feeling going? Right? Just like with any drug. How many hits of that do you need to maintain? And after a while, if there are enough of those hits, if you get enough of those injections or whatever then uh, it becomes sort of normal, doesn't it? And then you need more and more to reach that kind of euphoric state or just to maintain a normal state, right? So in a lot of ways, when you desire something like a text message or whatever it is, you're after a hit. And if that's something you're obsessing about, then think about it that way. You're after a chemical rush, Right? Something to make you feel really good for a moment. And then you're going to want that again and again and again. But is that a relationship? Is that the end result you're really after? Do you want to just have a, a whole bunch of a series of dopamine hits to keep you going? Keep you going through the day? Right? Keep you happy at work? Whatever it is. Help you sleep at night? 
Nah, I think that most of us, if we look at it that way, we understand very well that that's not really what we're after, is it? You know, and if it is what you're after, then there's nothing really wrong with that. Then just keep, you can, you can manifest text messages if that's all you want to focus on. You focus on the feeling of what it would like, what it would be like to receive that text message. What would that dopamine rush feel like? If that's what you want, if that's all you want, that's fine. But be aware if that's all you want and be aware if in fact you want something much, much more than that, much, much deeper than that. You, maybe you don't want the text message. You want the uh, the relationship, right? Yeah. And if you had the relationship, would you be pining for text messages all day? No. You'd see each other at the end of a day, in the morning when you get up, or on weekends, or whatever it is. You're living together. You see each other every day. So there's nothing to miss, really, right? Yeah. Okay. So now that I've uh, rambled on about that, <laughs> and it does tie in, because this is uh, according to Neville Goddard. And those of you who are not familiar with Neville Goddard, you know, he was a lecturer. He lectured on, um, on manifestation from about the 1930s to the 1970s until the time of his passing. Um, he was an interesting character. Um, I'm not going to give you a whole biography of his, but um, his lectures became pretty popular. He did not charge for any of his lectures, except maybe on occasion it might be he might ask for something for the to cover the cost of an event if he had to travel or something like that. But really, uh, pretty much his lectures were pretty much free. Um, and, uh, you know, he had an interesting take on, on, he spoke a lot about the Bible and God. Uh, and I think a lot of people that come to Neville Goddard become confused about that. You know, he wasn't necessarily a very religious person. He saw the Bible and the stories of Jesus as metaphors for our ability to create through our imagination. And he believed that God was, was our imagination, that our imagination is God, or that it is, so to speak, our church where we pray, where we create what we want, what we desire. Um, and for those of you who don't know Neville or have heard of him or are not very familiar with him, I urge you to go out there. There are many online resources where you can get uh, transcripts or recordings of, uh, of Neville Goddard's lectures for free. Uh, you should never have to pay for those. Um, uh, so, you know, um, I urge you to check that out. But in short, uh, one of the, one of the First fundamental, and, and his, uh, you know, Neville's manifestation techniques are so simple. Um, really, I could explain them to you in 15 minutes. This would be a 15-minute podcast. Maybe it'll even turn out to be one. But um, in a nutshell, uh, the first thing is to be clear about your desire. So, And I think I covered that already. You need to understand what it is you're really after. You know, I get a lot of emails from you guys, and I get a lot of uh, comments on the uh, YouTube. And... Um, that, uh, you know, I want to text. Why isn't he texting me? And, and how do I manifest that? And, you know, if that's all you're after, it's pretty simple to do. But but I'm going to assume, I usually go out on a limb and I assume things, I read things into your comments and your emails to me and your questions. I assume you want much, much more than that. You're pining after somebody. If you just want attention from them, then understand that that's a very simple thing. Like I said, that's just a, you're after a little dopamine push. That's what you're after. You're after that like on your Facebook comment, right? But, um, but if you really want them back, you need to understand and you need to start 
imagining and constructing scenes around what that means. What would a life be like with this person? What do you want to have? What kind of relationship do you want? Do you want to date and see them once a week or twice a week? Do you want to live together? And do you want to be married and live together? Do you want to have children? Do you want to grow old with them? What is it you want? And then you must go to that, to that feeling, that, that scene. And this is the second fundamental principle and probably the meat of Neville Goddard's teachings, the absolute, uh, what would we call it? Yes, the meat, I think the meat, <laughs> the meat of it. The most important aspect of this is to go into your imaginal state to create a scene of the thing already fulfilled. Now here's the thing, because there's a distinction here, and it's a... Uh, it seems like a subtle one, but we're going to try to uh, pick it apart. Uh, you want to not so much imagine the receiving of your desire, and I think in this case it would be something like receiving a text message, right? We've covered that part already. But to, to imagine a scene in which... A scene which implies that what you want, what you truly want, and remember you have to be clear about that first, absolutely clear. A scene that implies that what you want is already there. Now what would that, what would that be, for instance? Neville was very fond of congratulatory scenes. In other words, if you wanted a car or a job or a promotion or even to get married, you put yourself into a scene where people are congratulating you on your recently acquired goodness, all right? Now, that's a, an example of a scene where, where what you already want is implied as already existing, Right? You have the feeling of joy of it already being complete. Somebody's high-fiving you. Someone's slapping you on the back, congratulating you. Your friends are happy for you. You're calling your friends excited, telling them the news. Right? That implies the thing is done. Right? And you, you go right past receiving the thing itself, right? scratching that scratch a ticket or looking at the lottery ticket and realizing you have the winning numbers, but actually going off and telling people you just won the lottery. Right? Throwing a party, a celebration party that you just won the lottery, or an engagement party in the case of uh, manifesting a relationship. Right? So that's, that seems like a subtle distinction, but it's, a, it's an important distinction because if you, if you uh, create a scene where you imagine the actual receiving of your desire, that can often bring up blockages that you have very easily blockages you might have around love and relationships or money, receiving money and that kind of thing. But if you're imagining the thing already done from a place of it, are, it's, it being implied that it's already done, um, that tends to sort of bypass that blockage kind of area, I, I would like to say, that dam maybe, right? You're past the receiving. So if there are any blockages around you receiving something, then in your imaginal scene, in your visualization, you go past, you shoot right past it. All right? So it's not even an issue anymore. You have it. You've received it. People are congratulating you on it. So it's not a problem. Okay? 
So those are the two kind of steps that we're talking about here, the two major fundamental steps uh, of Neville Goddard's for manifesting a desire. And, and I actually wanted to, um, I didn't just want to ramble on, I wanted to read you uh, something from Neville himself, because uh, here's the thing, Neville also manifested his second wife. He manifested a marriage with his second wife. Now, at the time, he was very much entangled in a marriage that he was he no longer wanted to be a part of. Uh, his first wife and him, I think, had been separated for about 16 years, and she would not grant him a divorce. And so he wanted to marry this new woman that he had fallen in love with. And, um, but the thing standing in his way with, was this, uh, this divorce that his first wife was not granting him. And, and let me just read it from his, one of his lectures where he um, actually explains what happened from his perspective and kind of using the Neville Goddard um, method, if you will, right? So here's what he said. When I decided to marry the lady who now bears my name, I applied this principle. At the time, I was terribly involved. I had married at the age of 18 and became a father at 19. We separated that year, but I never sought a divorce. Therefore, my separation was not legal in the state of New York. Sixteen years later, when I fell in love and wanted to marry my present wife, I decided to sleep as though we were married. He decided to sleep as though they were married. While sleeping physically in my hotel room, I slept imaginatively in an apartment. She in one bed and I in the other. Now, I imagine, I don't know if this is from a time when couples still slept in separate beds or if that was just on television at that time or whatever it was. But anyway, he imagined something very simple, something almost so mundane that you, you never think about it, all right? You're just sleeping together. You're sleeping together in the same room next to each other uh, as a couple, as a married couple. It's something so simple, so every day, but such a fundamental part of being in a relationship and in a marriage that we almost overlook those kinds of things, don't we? We, we think it's all going to be champagne and, and, you know, romance and flower petals and, you know, uh, uh, couples massages and whatnot. Of course, you know, those of you who have been in a relationship or a marriage, you understand it's not like that. If you want the relationship you, you, and you, start, you want to start getting to the feeling of being in the relationship or the marriage, you, you want to approach it in, in terms of visualizing it from this kind of almost mundane place. It's so subtle that it almost falls right under the radar. But that's exactly the kind of thing that you want to get into the feeling of. It's not going to be about obsession and it's not going to be a constant honeymoon, right? Of course not. You want to go into the scene that implies that what you want is already happened. You're already married. So what do you do as a married couple? You sleep together. As simple as that. You might even imagine your significant other snoring, <laughs> you know, something like that, kicking you in their sleep, right? Stealing the covers. You know, I've had girlfriends that would just 
quite literally kick me out of bed while sleeping. I mean, they, you know, some of them were kind of small women too. And I'm, you know, I'm not terribly big guy, but I was bigger than them. And man, they suddenly took up the whole bed and I'm lying on the floor. And she never noticed. They never noticed. <laughs> Snoring away happily like an angel. And I'm on the damn floor, cold, bruised. But, uh, you know, it's funny. We're laughing. But that's exactly the kind of sort of almost charming but very mundane kind of sometimes even annoying kind of stuff that happens in a relationship, right? <laughs> so this is, a, this is sort of, I, this is what I can imagine being fundamentally being what it's uh, the best way to imagine according to Neville Goddard. To put yourself into a scene where you really feel it real, as he put it, the feeling it real. Right? You want to be married to this girl? You want to be married to this guy? Visualize just being asleep next to them in the same place, in the same apartment, in the same room. In this case, I would recommend in the same bed because most of you are going to be sleeping in the same bed, right? Yeah. So let me continue because his story gets, uh, gets even more interesting. Because re remember now, and, and this goes into a lot of you have these kinds of obstacles that you're focused on. Well, they're in another state, or they don't want me, or I can't marry them for such and such a reason, or there was somebody else, or et cetera, et cetera. Because what's interesting about this story is that it's actually not Neville manifesting his second wife. It's a story of her manifesting him, and him manifesting the divorce, so that he could be with her. So <laughs> it's interesting because according to him too, and that's another quote I'll read you, read you, it was his wife that actually manifested him, his second wife that manifested him. But the, the divorce or the, other, the previous marriage was the, the obstacle that seemed to be kind of in the way. All right. So he continues, my dancing partner did not want me to marry, so she told my wife that I would be seeking a divorce and to make herself scarce, which she did, taking up residence in another state. But I persisted. Night after night, I slept in the assumption that I was happily married to the girl I love. I slept in the assumption that I was happily married to the girl I love. And the assumption is the thing that, that you know, the feeling is accompanied by the assumption. Or the assumption creates the feeling, right? And the feeling is what you're after. The, the feeling it real. The feeling of what it would be like to be in that. And it can be mundane. Night after night, I'm sleeping next to the same woman that I love. Within a week, he continues, I received a call requesting me to be in court the next Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Giving me no reason why I should be there, I dismissed the request, thinking it was a hoax played on me by a friend. So the next Tuesday morning at 9.30 a.m., I was unshaved and only casually dressed when the phone rang and a lady said, it would be to your advantage as a public figure to be in court this morning as your wife is on trial. Now, this is his first wife, the one he's been separated from for 16 years. She's on trial. What a shock, he says. I quickly thanked the lady, caught a taxi, and arrived just as court began. My wife had been caught lifting a few items from a store in New York City, which she had not paid for. Asking to speak on her behalf, I said, she is my wife and the mother of my son. 
although we have been separated for 16 years. As far as I know, she has never done this before, and I do not think she will ever do it again. We have a marvelous son. Please do nothing to her to reflect in any way upon our son who lives with me. If I may say something, she is eight years my senior and may be passing her... Oh, I'm sorry. And may be passing through a certain emotional state which prompted her to do what she did. If you must sentence her, then please suspend it. The judge then said to me, In all of my years on the bench, I have never heard an appeal like this. Your wife tells me you want a divorce, and here you could have tangible evidence for it, yet you plead for her release. He then sentenced her for six months and suspended the sentence. My wife waited for me to, at the back of the room and said, Neville, that was a decent thing to do. Give me the subpoena and I will sign it. We took a taxi together, and I did that which was not legal. I served my own subpoena, and she signed it. <laughs> so, interesting, right? So here he is. He wants to be with this woman, but there's an obstacle in the way. His previous wife will not give him a divorce. Now this interesting thing happens. He's suddenly summoned to court. He doesn't know why. He gets there, and she's on trial for something that... You know, it's totally out of her character for shoplifting. And he comes to her defense. And as a result, almost as a reward, she grants him a divorce, and he's now able to be with the woman that he really wants to be with. Let me keep reading. Now, what, who was the cause of her misfortune, he says. She lived in another state, but came to New York City to do an act for which she was to be caught and tried. So I say, every being in the world will serve your purpose, so in the end you will say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They will move under compulsion to do your will, just as my wife did. In other words, simply staying and persisting in that state, that state that assuming the thing completed, right, the manifestation being completed, Persisting simply in that visualization, in that imaginary act, caused these events to unfold. People to do things that seemed even out of their character in order to rearrange, kind of, if you will, rearrange the stage to be set now for this manifestation that, that was the only thing he had really persisted in and focused on was the simple act of sleeping next to the woman he loved as, as, as her husband. That was it. He didn't try to imagine the divorce, right? He didn't focus on the problem and then try to visualize the problem out of existence, right? He didn't visualize their wedding, he didn't visualize signing the divorce papers. None of that. He didn't visualize his, uh, his first wife calling him and saying, yes, I will give you the divorce so you can marry this, this other woman that you love. No, he simply imagined one thing, one simple thing, the end result, the end result, a scene so subtle that it's barely something you even think about. It's just sleeping next to the woman he loved as her husband. That's it.
And as a result of his persistence in that visualization, in that imaginary act, night after night, night after night, and not focusing on the obstacle or the problems, but simply persisting in that feeling, in that state, all these events unfolded, these almost seemingly ridiculous events. I mean, it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? His, his first wife getting caught shoplifting, something she never does, but maybe she's going through an emotional uh, upheaval, so she did something out of character. She got caught for it. He's now called to court. He testifies on her behalf. The judge is just flabbergasted, right? It grants her leniency at his request, and she is so thankful, she says, I'm going to give you what you want. Boom. The thing has unfolded. The obstacle has now dissipated. It's completely disappeared. Just right, almost right in front of his, before his eyes. It just, poof, gone. Now the road is clear for him to marry the woman he loves. All right? So... <clears throat> Neville continues, and, and it's, it's what I just said. I tell this story only to illustrate a principle. You do not need to ask anyone to aid you in the answer to a prayer for the simple reason that God, remember God is your imagination, is omnipotent and omniscient, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He is in you as your own wonderful I amness. All you need to do is know what you want. Construct a scene which would imply the fulfillment of your desire. Enter the scene and remain there. If your imaginal counselor, your feeling of fulfillment, in other words, agrees with that which is used to illustrate your fulfilled desire, your fantasy will become a fact. If it does not, start all over again by creating a new scene and enter it. It costs you nothing to imagine consciously. In other words, when you're constructing your scene, you want to make it simple. Simple enough that it's easy for you to conjure the feeling that you need to conjure up in order to feel like the scene is real. Right? If it's, and if you're not able to accomplish that with the scene you've created, then the scene is too complicated and you just go back and you rework it. You just kind of... You, you know, you experiment with it a little bit. Don't just uh, take the first scene and stick with it and try to mold it, you know, and bend it to, to be constructive and productive and to work and to kind of create the feeling. No, let the scene be simple enough and easy enough for you to imagine so that the feeling is easy. It can easily well up in you, right? And if it doesn't do that, simply go back and just reconstruct the scene. Imagine it's like you're, you're a screenwriter or something, or a playwright, okay? Ah, the scene isn't working, the scene isn't working. I mean, you have to go back sometimes and rewrite the scene, rework it, bring in other elements, take certain elements out, right? Just imagine that's what you're doing. You're just simply writing a scene for a movie or a play, okay? play that you're acting in, you're going to be acting in, and the people that you desire are going to be acting in. So make it simple, make it easy to understand, make it easy for you to grasp that feeling, right? He continues, in my own case, the scene was a bedroom of an apartment with my wife in one bed and I in the other, denoting that I was no longer living in a hotel alone. I fell asleep in that state. Now here's another big one. 
you know, the best time of day, according to Neville, is to do this at night when you're sort of in that hazy kind of just before falling asleep state. I don't know what they call that state. I think there's a there's a scientific term for it. But you know that what I'm talking about, that kind of still awake but barely awake, that sort of twilight stage, right? That's when you want to get into the scene. And that's also why you want to make the scene easy to imagine and simple to imagine because you don't want to be doing a whole lot of thinking in that state right now. You, know? you want it to be easy, simple, right, uh, so that you can easily and quickly achieve that feeling state and so you can just sort of drift off to sleep in that state, right? This is what Neville did again and again every night and manifested his second wife, the woman he loved, very successfully. So, I fell asleep in that state, he says, and within one week I had the necessary papers to start action on a divorce. So it only took him a week, but he was so focused, right? He was so persistent in it, and he was so insistent that he would not look at any of the obstacles or the problems in his way. And so many of us do that. And so many of you guys out there, and, you know, I'm not trying to uh, nitpick with you, but I want to illustrate that a lot of the emails I get and comments I get are so focused on the problem, the thing that's not going right. Why isn't he texting me? Why did this happen? What if they're in another city? What if they're with somebody else? you got to ignore that stuff. You have to. You have to create your scene. You have to feel it, and you have to be persistent in that scene and live in it. Live in it. Not observe it, but live in it. Make yourself a part of it. Night after night after night, and you have to do that so purely, so insistently, and just absolutely ignore the thing around you that's not the way you want it to be, the obstacles, those things, those conditions are temporary and they will dissipate. They will be picked apart, just like in Neville's case, the divorce that was in the way. Now, what would have happened if every day he had sat around, uh, every night he imagined uh, sleeping next to the woman he loved as her husband, and in the morning he'd wake up and he'd spend the whole day worrying about that he hasn't, hasn't had his divorce granted yet that his first wife won't grant him the divorce, that he can't marry the woman he loved. Uh, you know, of course, it, it wouldn't have taken a week. It would have taken years and years if he kept that up, right? It would have probably never even happened. So he says, this is what the Bible teaches. It is my textbook. Whatever you desire, believe you have already received it, and you will. There is no limit to the power of belief or to the possibilities of prayer, but you must be brazenly impudent and not take no for an answer. Try it. When I say you are all imagination, I mean it. While standing here on the platform, I can, in a split second, Imagine I am standing on the outside looking at this building or in another second be in London and view the world from there. So your imagination is the all-powerful tool that you have. That is what Neville called God, right? And the Bible, according to him, was only a, sort of a an instruction book on how to use this tool, this, this imagination, 
how to be God, basically, right? Very, very powerful stuff. And, um, and also very simple, really, when you kind of look at it that way. It's very simple, and it's very encouraging to even listen to that story. At least it is for me, um, and I hope it is for you, um, of this, what is perhaps considered one of the, you know, biggest masters of this uh, stuff, one of, the, one, of the, one of the most important teachers of manifestation in the 20th century and certainly into today, because I think even during Neville's time, he, he was popular, but I don't think he reached the kind of um, notoriety then that he has now posthumously because, of course, we have the Internet and we have ways of disseminating information that, you know, never existed before in human history. Um, so you find Neville Goddard everywhere, right? <laughs> I'm sure I don't... I wonder if there are people alive now who have attended Neville Goddard lectures. I think it would be an interesting thing to research, and it would be interesting to actually uh, meet somebody like that. I wonder. Uh, but that's that's for another time. But uh, yes, so I find it very encouraging that that this person, Neville Goddard, is you know was able to manifest something that we, most of us and most of you listening out there as the audience right now, and most of my viewers on YouTube, you know, are are very very much um, desiring for yourselves, and often finding difficulty in doing so or finding this process slow and cumbersome. Um, let this be an inspiration that um, Neville wasn't anything special in that sense. I'm not anything special. Um, he was just somebody who I think was, was able to uh, learn as much as he could about, uh, about this stuff and, and was able to kind of experiment with it. And, and then once he got it down to a, a sort of a, a method that worked, uh, he was able to to give it to other people and teach it to other people. One day you're going to be that way. That's that's what you're shooting for. You're shooting to be uh, a master manifester like Neville Goddard. And one day you're going to be teaching people how to do this. You're going to be showing your friends how to do it. They're going to be asking you about it. How did you how did you get that girl? I thought you guys were done forever. I could have sworn you guys were done forever. And then you get to sit down and tell them how you did it. In fact, wouldn't that be a cool scene <laughs> right there? <laughs> I think that would be a cool scene to imagine right there. That, that would be a scene, that would be a perfect Neville Goddard scene of, uh, of, of implying, right, as the thing already done, uh, a sort of a, a version of the congratulatory scene, right? What about you just sitting around and your friend asks you how you did that? How'd you get your ex back, man? How'd you get, she was so pissed at you. I can't even believe she gave you another chance. How did that work? Man, she had moved to freaking Paris or Europe and was across the ocean. Now she's back and you guys are engaged. What happened? Just imagine that. Imagine that as a scene, right? And being so happy and, and cocky a little bit and kind of confident saying, well, you know what, man? Listen, let me tell you, it's so easy. It was so easy to get her back. <laughs> Right, so that's uh, that's that could be a scene right there. You know, play around with this stuff. Play around with this stuff. Imagine scenarios of, that would happen, things that you would say and do, 
right? After the fact, after it's already done. And there's your scene. And, and, and you'll feel it. You'll know it when you feel it, right? And, uh, of course, the, there's a third thing here, which is, you know, and this is kind of what we always say in, in manifestation, law of attraction teaching, is we say, once you've done that, you have to let it go, right? You have to kind of, and this is often where that's the difficult part we face. <laughs> Maybe we visualize very easily, right? We're able to get into that kind of state very easily, but then we wonder, how do we maintain it? How do we get then let go and not think about it and obsess about it all day? Well, this is where Neville kind of says that if you make your scene, your visualization effective enough, right? If it is a good visualization, a good scene, then it takes care of the desire of fulfilling the desire itself. It takes care of, of stilling that hunger that you have, right, for the thing. Because if you're doing it well enough, if you're doing it effectively, if you've constructed an effective scene, then it should already satisfy in you the desire to see the thing actually physically come about. It'll feel the same, and you won't actually feel anything missing because the feeling is what you're after, right? I don't know if I explained that well enough, but here's a quote for, here's another quote from Neville on that. You become for a moment, after a successful meditation, incapable of continuing the act as though it were a physical creative act. You are just as impotent after you have prayed successfully as you are after the physical creative act. When satisfaction is yours, you no longer hunger for it. If the hunger persists, you did not explode the idea within you. You did not actually succeed in becoming conscious of being that which you wanted to be. There was still that thirst when you came out of the deep. So that pretty much sums up what I just said, right? And I think maybe Neville says it even much better than I can put it. Um, but basically, you have the hunger for the desire is the hunger, right? You want to manifest this desire to still the hunger within you. Now, what, Matt, what Neville is saying is that the very imaginal act of going into that state of it being fulfilled in your imagination is the very thing that will actually still your hunger. It will satisfy your hunger. It will almost exhaust you when you do it well enough. It will exhaust you. You will become impotent after you have prayed successfully. You will become incapable of continuing the act as though it were a physical creative act. Imagine painting a huge painting and painting the hell out of it. Right? And you're putting all this creative energy into it. And when it's done, you kind of go, <gasps> right? You're exhausted. You're exhausted because you just poured all this creative energy into this canvas, onto this canvas. And now you've got no another energy left in you. You've drained yourself of it, of the hunger, right? You've, you've satisfied that hunger to such a degree that you're, you're full. You're so full that you can't even stand up. <laughs> you ever eaten that much? I have. Right? <laughs> oh man, I'm going to eat the hell out of that thing. And then you eat it and you eat it and you eat it and you realize, you know, you have the thing. I'm, almost, I'm actually not even hungry anymore. I can feel myself filling up. But this tastes so good, I'm just going to keep eating it. And then by the end, you go, why did I eat all that? 
That's almost what he's talking about. You want to saturate yourself with the feeling of the thing, of the desire being fulfilled to such a degree that you almost become, you know, kind of like sick the way you get sick after eating too much food, right? Eating too much bacon or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is that you love to eat, whatever your, uh, your comfort food is or your, 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 your delicious sin, right? <laughs> My, my big shame is bacon. I love the hell out of bacon. I could eat it till it comes out of my ears, and it does come out of my ears sometimes, actually. Uh, but that's a story for another time. Um, so yeah, so I hope that that um, I hope that I was able to cover uh, uh, Neville's method here uh, well enough for you to kind of grasp and understand. And um, I, I do tell you, it, it's very simple, really. It's very simple, and it comes down to really those three steps, those three simple steps. The clarity of the desire of the thing you want, really identifying what it is you're really after, then creating a scene that implies that the thing is done. It's a done deal, not a scene where you're receiving the thing or you're in the act of receiving the thing but a scene that takes place after the thing is already finished, after the wish is already fulfilled. You're assuming the state of the wish fulfilled, according to Neville, right? And you want to create it in such a way and keep it so simple that you can just fill yourself up with the feeling of it, of it being done, the joy of it being done. And you do that to such a degree that you almost become, you know, like uh, so satiated that you don't even think about it not being there, and you can come out of that that visualization and that meditation, and and so satisfied that you that letting go, the letting go part of it of the process is almost comes naturally, right? You don't keep thinking about you know a pile of bacon after you just stuffed bacon into yourself. <laughs> you think about the bacon you just had and how delicious it was, but you're not thinking about eating more bacon because you're sick to your stomach now, right? That's almost the kind of state you want to achieve, right? That's the state you want to achieve and then letting go just comes naturally. It's not even a, it's not even a struggle. And if it doesn't come naturally, then you didn't construct the scene well enough or efficiently enough, or you didn't construct a scene that where it was easy enough for you to, to satiate yourself with the feeling of it being fulfilled. So then just go back. Don't punish yourself for that. It's not like you did anything wrong. Just go back and rewrite the scene. Rewrite the scene. All right? That's all. Play with it. And if you need to write it down, actually write it down, if you're a writer or that's just how you like to do things, then by all means do that. If you want to just do it purely in your head, it doesn't really matter the method or anything like that. You just want to make sure that you construct a scene that's easy enough for you to get into that state, assuming the state of the wish fulfilled, and that you're able to satiate and saturate yourself with that feeling to such a degree that letting go almost comes naturally. You almost want to let go after it because you're so exhausted from that creative act that you just engaged in, right? And that is how you do it, people. That is how you do it according to Neville Goddard and also pretty much according to the all the principles and laws and basic steps that you hear from all other teachers, including me, this is in a nutshell. I mean, this is why I love Neville Goddard so much. And I don't know why I haven't really talked about Neville that much yet. But um, 
I'm glad some people have mentioned him. Um, I did want to touch on Neville. I think his teachings are very, very important. Um, and if you want to dive further into Neville, you can go, like I said, you just go Google him and Google lectures. You have PDFs online. You have audio recordings online that you can find for free. And just throw yourself into Neville. Just um, He actually had a very nice, calming voice. There are recordings of his voice out there. So, you know, just um, go listen to him or read some transcripts of his lectures. And, um, you know, you can see the stuff for yourself. And you may even find details in there, things that I didn't cover um, in this podcast episode, but, um, yeah, in a nutshell, that's pretty much, uh, uh, that's pretty much it. That's how you do it. Right. Yeah. So in a minute, I'm going to come back and, uh, we're going to reach into the mailbag and I'm going to take an email and I'm going to look at it from the Neville Goddard perspective. We're going to look at it through the lens of Neville Goddard and Neville Goddard's technique here that we just discussed, that I just discussed, we did. Um, and we're going to see how this could be applied to a, you know, a real-life scenario, right? So stay tuned for that. I will be right back. All right. Back with a little email from the mailbag. You know what I think would be kind of fun? If I had a little sound effect, a little mailbag sound effect, what would that be? Sort of a rustling of letters or papers, right? (laughs) Of course, that's silly because uh, I'm not actually getting letters from people. That would be ridiculous. Can you imagine all the letters? Uh, I guess that's what used to happen back in the day, right? What did they used to do? They have truckloads of letters. I don't have truckloads of letters. I don't have any letters. Of course, I have emails. But um, would be kind of fun to have a little sound effect. Uh, let's see if I can find something like that, right? Anyway, um, this is a short email. Um, I don't want to make this too long and complicated, but let's just take a look at this real quick and see how we can approach it from the Neville Goddard perspective and uh, from the perspective of all the things we just discussed in the uh, first part of the podcast. Um, this is from a woman who is writing me to find out um, how she can stay on track with her with dealing with setbacks. And uh, let me just go ahead and read it, and um, and then you'll see what I mean. Um, she writes, Recently I went <clears throat> through a breakup this past November and discovered the law of attraction, which has really changed my life in such positive ways. Excellent. Good for you. Welcome to the Welcome to the club. For the most part, when I discovered how I created my reality, it all clicked and made sense to me, and I was able to take ownership of the events that have occurred... I pushed back my ex, I pushed my ex away with my own fear of losing him and I was always thinking I would lose him since we got together and shocker he left me. So you know when you're doing that, right? When you're afraid or worried about losing something or somebody or a bad thing happening to you, that is a form of visualizing. That is a form of creation. And if you look at it through the uh, Neville Goddard lens, 
You know, when you're engaged in that worry thoughts and you're imagining, you're imagining the worst outcome and you're imagining it probably from a place of it already having happened, right? So here's an example of something happening, being manifested that is not wanted. That's the opposite of what is wanted. In this case, a breakup. And we've had, uh, I think we've had emails like this before. Um, but it's, but you can see, you can even apply the same principle to the thing that has occurred that you've manifested that is unwanted, right? When you're worrying, you're often what you're doing, if you start paying attention to your worry thoughts, you're actually projecting yourself into a scene most of the time, if not really all of the time, where you're in a situation where this thing has already happened that you're so worried about happening, right? And then you're assuming the feeling of that, which in this case is a feeling of disappointment and fear and sadness and worry, right? And that is corresponding to the scene you're creating, which then, of course, brings about what? A manifestation, a full-blown manifestation of what you don't want. So good for you, actually. This is good. It doesn't sound good, but it is actually good because this is a huge demonstration for you uh, about what, how this stuff works. And sometimes, sometimes we have to manifest the bad things in order to really get the message of how this works and that it really works. Sometimes we're so used to just worrying all the time and creating bad things in our lives that when we discover this stuff for the first time, manifesting and law of attraction, we discover our power with it for the first time. The things we manifest that are so unwanted that seem to be constantly manifesting in our lives, <clears throat> they start to stick out to us even more. We start to pay attention to them even more. Sometimes even more bad things become manifested because we're so good at it. And this is how good we are at this stuff. Imagine that you're, think about it, you're so good at manifesting that you can still manifest terrible things from a place of having forgotten how powerful you really are. And that that itself will serve as a reminder to you of your own power, right? It's an opportunity for you to wake up and take control again. Take the reins again, right? So it's, this is a good thing. Sometimes the bad manifestations are exactly what we need to kind of slap us on the butt, wake us up a little bit, right? So anyway, <clears throat> so I pushed my ex away with my own fear of losing him, and I was always thinking I would lose him since we got together, and shocker, he left me. So there you go. You were imagining it, you were thinking it, imagining it real from a place of it already being a thing, the breakup already being real. You were feeling it from that perspective, and then shocker, like you said, shocker, it happened, right? So, I have not spoken to my ex, but have done a pretty good job of remaining positive, scripting, living in the end, self-love, meditations, etc., etc. Very good. All of those things are good. But I hit a roadblock today when I thought he would reach out to me on my birthday and he didn't. Now, what did I say in the first part of the podcast, if you were listening, about that kind of desire, wanting a, a message on your birthday, wanting a text message, wanting a phone call, wanting some feedback on your social media comment, right? What are you really after here? You want your ex back, or do you just want a birthday wish? Do you just want that adrenaline rush, that dopamine push? Do you want that hit, right? Do you want to just feel good for five minutes, or do you want a relationship? 
Why are you so fixated on the birthday message and not the relationship? Right? So from the Neville Goddard perspective, are you putting yourself in a scene that already assumes the state of the thing being fulfilled, of the wish being fulfilled? The wish is, what's the wish? Getting a birthday message so you can feel good on your birthday and just on your birthday? Or is it the relationship that you want? Right? Think about that. And so the roadblock you're hitting here is precisely that's the roadblock. That's it right there. The block is this. You're, you hit a block because you, were, you became upset that you didn't get your dopamine hit. You didn't get your dopamine hit, and so you had a bad birthday, right? Probably you were sitting around all day or even the week leading up to your birthday thinking, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get a birthday wish, I'm going to get a birthday wish, and then it doesn't happen, you didn't get your hit, and now you feel disappointed. And you think that that means that the chances are gone or you did something wrong. No, none of that. But you just weren't clear on your desire, what you really wanted, and you didn't go to that place. You don't want a birthday message. What you want is a relationship with your ex. It's the relationship you want, not the birthday message. Now, let me, let me ask you this. If you were in a relationship with your ex, let's say you've been back together for a year, right? Are you going to wonder about getting a text message on your birthday from your ex? Of course not. Would, your ex, would, would he even be calling you or messaging you on your birthday? No, he wouldn't be. You know, what, you know why? Because you're in a relationship. You're living together. You sleep in the same bed, in the same room, in the same house. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? He's going to make you breakfast in bed. He's going to wake you up with eggs and bacon and orange juice, fresh-squeezed orange juice and a hot piping cup of coffee. He's going to bring it to you, right? You're going to sit there and you're going to enjoy every bite and every sip. Yeah? He's going to surprise you with uh, that puppy you always wanted. <laughs> okay? That's what he's going to do. You're not going to sit around and go, oh, when's my husband going to call me for my birthday? Unless he's out of town on a business trip or something, right? But let's assume he's not. Well, let's keep it simple. In other words, let's keep it simple, like we said. You want to keep this simple. So how would you, how would you reframe this? Right? How would you reframe this from the perspective of Neville Goddard? What, would you, what kind of a scene would you create? that would assume the wish already fulfilled. Now remember, not receiving the thing. But here's a scenario for you. It's about six months, eight months after your birthday. And you've been back together. And you're sitting around on a cozy evening together, drinking some wine maybe. You just had a nice dinner. And you're looking through your phone. Or, or something like that, and you, you're looking at pictures or videos of your birthday party. You're looking at uh, the video of when uh, you opened the box with the puppy, the brand new puppy inside, and it jumps out and licks your face, and you're almost crying with joy because he got you the puppy that you always wanted, right? Or maybe when he comes in and brings you breakfast in bed on your birthday, on the morning of your birthday, he's videotaping the whole thing. So you, you're watching it together. Oh, remember when that happened? Maybe he surprised you with a trip for your birthday. And so you're looking at pictures of the trip that you went on together, right? The holiday, the special vacation. Maybe he threw you a surprise party 
all your friends and family were invited. Yeah, and you came home from work or wherever, and you had no idea, and you opened the door, and boom, you almost jump out of your shoes as everyone jumps up from behind the furniture and yells, surprise, happy birthday. And you're talking about it, and you're laughing about it. And you're laughing about the cousin that got too drunk and, you know, threw up in the wastebasket in the kitchen or whatever it was, right? Now, what does that scene do? What does it do? Is it a scene about uh, receiving your desire? No, it's a scene that takes place after your desire is already fulfilled. Yeah, it's almost, it is a, another version of the congratulatory scene, isn't it? In that sense, you're almost congratulating each other on a great birthday that you had together, that you spent together, a memorable birthday that you spent together. And in that scene, as you're constructing it, and again, construct it in such a way that it keeps it simple and that gives you joy and that you almost smile when you think about it. You almost smile about it as if it had actually happened, as if you're actually having a memory that you actually lived through with this person and that you're re-experiencing that experience through a shared memory, sharing that memory with them and laughing about it, smiling about it. I remember when that had happened, honey. Oh my God, that's when you got me the puppy on my birthday. Oh, look at this. Look, at I found this video about it. And you watch it together, right? And you have, you re-experience the, the event together because it was an event, an experience that you shared because you're in a relationship. And this is what you do in a relationship, right? You make memories together. So go to the place where you're remembering this thing together and feel it. Feel it. Feel it real. Feel it as having already been fulfilled. That is a perfect way to reconstruct this whole scenario that you're, that you're writing to me about. From the Neville Goddard perspective, that would be a perfect way to, to reconstruct that or to construct a scene about it. But of course, you have to get past this idea of, he didn't call me on my birthday. Who calls you on your birthday, if at all? Friends, right? If your ex is calling you on your birthday, it implies that he's still your ex, because your boyfriend, your husband ain't going to call you again unless he's out of town on your birthday. But let's assume he's not because we're keeping it simple. Your boyfriend or husband is going to make you breakfast in bed. He's going to surprise you with a puppy. He's going to surprise you with a vacation you always, a trip you always wanted to take to a place you always wanted to go to. He's going to surprise you with a surprise party, right? He's living with you. He's your partner. That's where you want to go. Forget the text you didn't get on your birthday, Right? Everything you want takes place in your head, in your mind, in your imagination. That's where that's your church. That's where you pray. And your prayer is nothing more than the scene you construct that assumes what? Yes, the feeling of the wish already fulfilled. Right? And that's Neville Goddard in a nutshell. Okay? So I didn't read the whole email, but it goes back into this sort of, it, it's pretty much the same thing. I wanted to stop there um, and, like I said, keep it short. Um, it, that's the gist of it, right? That's the gist of it. She's upset that she didn't get a phone call or a text from her ex uh, on her birthday. She was sure that she would. 
But I want to touch on that for a minute, too, because she says, well, if I was so sure, why didn't it happen? Because I, I think that she thought her feeling of being sure about it was a surefire sign that it was going to happen, and then it didn't happen. But sometimes we get confused about that, too. We think something's going to happen, or we see some, we feel something uh, that we think is intuition. We confuse a strong desire and a strong need for something, for a manifestation or an occurrence. Uh, in this case, a message, a phone call, or a text on a birthday, we confuse the strong desire of it for an intuition that it's going to happen. you got to stop looking for the signs, too. If you construct your scene, and the kind of scene that I just demonstrated to you, and everything that we talked about in terms of how Neville Goddard might approach this, what kind of scene he might construct around this desire... Um, if you do that well enough and efficiently enough, right, you should be feeling like it's fulfilled to such a degree that you become satiated. That, that the letting go part after the visualization and the meditation after you come out of it is almost natural. It occurs naturally because you're so full of the feeling that you are after. And you'll fill yourself up with that feeling during your visualization, during the scene that you imagined that you constructed. That's what you're shooting for in this visualization thing, okay? That's what you're shooting for. And if you don't come out of it with that kind of satiated feeling, then you want to just go back and reconstruct it. You know, you can take my suggestions that I came up with that are just examples, really. Or uh, if they work for you, excellent. Or you just come up with your own scene. But remember, remember fundamentally the principle is you want it to be a scene after the fact, that assumes the thing being done and to feel that, that easily lets you have the feeling of it being complete, okay? So don't be upset that you didn't get a text message or, or a phone call on your birthday from your ex. That's, it means nothing, absolutely nothing. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean it's not happening now. It's ruined and he'll never be back with you. You'll never be back with him. Just forget all that stuff and focus on constructing your scene. Focus on reaching the feeling of it. Make sure you understand and acknowledge finally what it is you're really after. You're after a relationship. And then go there. Go in that direction. Okay? So, I hope that that helps all of you. And I hope that um, I didn't confuse you at any point. I know I always say that. Sometimes I feel like I, I ramble. I get carried away with things. <laughs> I'm passionate about this stuff. Um, and I'm also passionate about oh, making this these messages, these videos and podcasts uh, effective and understandable and relatable and uh, not too complicated. And in you, kind of all of you out there listening and watching, um, really getting something out of it, right? That's what I'm after. So I hope that, um, I hope that this uh, was clear enough for you. Um, if it was, leave a comment. Let me know. If it wasn't, leave a comment and let me know. And um, and on that note, if you are interested in having a little email interaction with me, we'll call it coaching if you want. Um, it's pretty much kind of what I do here. You know, that's pretty much what's going to happen. But um, there are packages available 
on the website, manifestationlab.com. Just look in the menu on the top uh, right, along the top right of the page of the homepage there. And click on that, and you can see all the details on how to purchase a package, email coaching package. Um, also, on the website, you'll find recommended books. You can hit that link. Uh, there's some good books there that you should read um, that I recommend, that I've read, that I really love, uh, that I think are great books. Um, also, if you are listening to this on YouTube, please uh, hit subscribe if you haven't already. Um, and thank you for doing so. And thank you for all the new subscribers out there. You're coming steadily, and I love it. I love watching that number grow. Um, and on that note, I hope that you uh, take what I've said here today to heart, that you do some more research on your own on Neville, because Neville is great, great teacher, great material to get into, so much more there than what I was able to present to you today in this podcast episode, so you should go digging, digging for yourself, definitely. Always do your own research, you know, folks, it's important. Read as much as you can. Listen to as much as you can. Even if things seem difficult right now, the more you immerse yourself in it, the, the, the deeper it will sink. At some point, it's just going to click with you, and it will become easier. And there will come a day when it, something snaps in your mind. You go, oh, my God, now I see. Now I see how it works. It was this easy all along? Really? laugh at yourself when that day comes, I guarantee, in a good way, in a good way. But on that note, thank you so much for listening, and until the next time, I am Tarkon, and I love you, and I wish you all the best. Keep manifesting, and keep a stiff upper lip. Keep feeling it real.